listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome, everyone. We're continuing our organizational ranks today on the Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 10. This is part four in the five-part series, continuing down from report number nine, all the way down the top prospect school pools in the NHL. Teams nine through five covered today on the show, and there are definitely some more interesting players to discuss. And because there are fewer teams, we'll get at least a couple each just to discuss on them. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the promo code DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show and more on that in a little bit. And other big news, the 17th annual Dauber Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report was released recently, and both Pete and I were contributors. This guide is the Bible for Dynasty Managers with a lowdown on each NHL team's top prospects, 500 prospects with upside, wait times, analysis, the top 100 NHL draft prospects, and the top 50 NHL prospects, and more. Get your copy today on Dauber Prospects or Dauber Hockey in the shop. Pete, how are you doing? Really good. I'm very excited for Nashville. It's about a week away, man. And it's always a good time. I can't wait to meet you in person and we're going to work the draft floor. We're going to talk to all the people in the biz, get all the chatter and all the goods and info for fantasy hockey. If you're listening to the show, shoot us a message on Twitter at DPR underscore show or on Facebook and let us know what kind of information you're looking for from the draft. If you got a prospect you want, specific questions answered on we'll ask the experts when we're there and you'll get some clips live from the draft floor well not directly live but from the draft floor you'll get clips from the draft board floor later (laughs) not necessarily live but yeah absolutely it's going to be a great time as we're recording this now i'll be there a week from now and we'll definitely be doing a lot of great stuff at the draft and yeah that's a great call hit us up if there's anything in particular that we might be able to ask or find out for you from the experts there at the draft. It's going to be going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to meeting everybody and checking it all out. All right, well, we're going to get started now. Without further ado, team number nine, the Seattle Kraken. While they didn't get the expansion luck that Vegas got, Seattle got Kraken filling their prospect coverage pretty quickly with Veneers and Wright in their first two drafts. Their high rank is mainly based on those two, I'd say, as their system lacks some depth compared to some of the other ones we've talked about or will talk about. Peter and I agree mostly, well, we agree on those two. They're great. A little divergent right after that with me rating Ty Nelson pretty highly and Peter being a little bit cooler on Ty Nelson, but a little bit more consensus on some of the other guys beyond those top two like David Goyette, Riker Evans, Jagger Furkus, Johnny Neiman. We're all pretty similar on those. And another one that we're a little bit divergent on is Tyson Jugnoth. He's another one that's a little divergent. So we'll talk about these guys right now. The first one I mentioned, Ty Nelson. So I had him as an eight. I will say that I went back and revisited some of these ratings, and I, I definitely moved him, I think, down to a seven. But still, I'm a little bit higher than Peter. I think you had him as a five. 
And we talked about Ty Nelson on Dauber Prospects Report number four. That was the CHL standout episode. And he has been a standout. He plays for North Bay Battalion. He's about 25% rostered, although, as Pete mentioned recently, those off-season rostership may be a little bit wonky. And he was a 2020 first overall selection by North Bay in the OHL draft, 2022 third round pick by Seattle in the 68th overall. He is a 5'10 defenseman. He's pretty, a little bit shorter, but stocky at 198 pounds. He's a powerful skater with a good shot. And he didn't play in the OHL for his draft year, but had 51 points in 66 games after that. And a D plus one, he had 24 goals, 76 points in 67 games with 60 PIMs over a hit and almost a block and a half per game. So really good in the peripheral stats, which is pretty awesome. We love to see that. He was second in league playoff scoring. Actually, he was first in total OHL playoff scoring in 20 games. Although Brant Clark had a higher point per game for the Barry Colts. They were just eliminated a little bit earlier than North Bay. So Ty Nelson, he doesn't look super exciting in the hockey prospecting model, but he was able to increase his star potential from nine to 13. It's always impressive when you do that because usually guys just kind of trend down. And so the fact that he was able to do that to me is, is pretty, a pretty good sign. The other models I would say are a lot cooler on him. He has just 6% of star potential in the top down hockey model, although very high likelihood in both these models to be an NHLer. And the, his PNHLE is a little bit lower and has some Interesting comparisons, though. Keandre Miller, Connor Timmons would be pretty pretty great outcomes for him. There's also a John Carlson comp. These are just what his PNHA looked like at the same time. So Ty Nelson is kind of busting a little bit past that first line potential. And so that's always pretty exciting when guys are able to do that. He seems pretty likely to get NHL minutes. And the other thing I like about him is that Seattle doesn't have a ton of guys blocking him so he's got a high floor and a pretty high ceiling and i know that you were interested in him before pete you just maybe aren't quite as high on ty nelson as i am so what do you have to say about him yeah like like you said we talked about him on report four and i'm pretty favorable on him i like him it's not that i don't like him but my lower score than yours i think is more of a reflection on a couple of points number one i'm not convinced he'll be a big point producer at the nhl level Yeah, he's got some good peripheral production for sure. That's not to be underestimated. Good hitter and blocker. But I think his overall offensive ceiling may be as a bottom pairing level, mid-level at best. Like I don't see him as a number one defenseman or power play quarterback. So I think the goals and assists volume will be a little muted. And I also suspect he's going to need a few more years still in the American Hockey League. He's 19, he's a little undersized, and I think there might be a significant adjustment period where his size will be more of a factor than it was in junior. You know, he's a pretty powerful skater. He's undersized at 5'10", but he's a strong kid. And I think he'll be able to make the adjustments. Like we were talking about Lane Hudson and how few 5'10 defensemen there are in the NHL. And I think Lane's a higher probability of being an impact offensive player but i also like ty nelson's chances of making the nhl so i'm confident that he can play just not have the same sort of upside as some of those other guys and then finally is his defensive game his decision making and 
his pace adaptation will be the biggest hurdle for him to clear and transition to the American Hockey League and then to the National Hockey League. I've watched him play live a couple times in the OHL when he's come through. And he's there's a lot of things that are impressive about his game. And he's good defensively at the OHL level. But I see him chasing the puck a lot. And I think there's some experience that's required there before a five foot ten guy is going to be able to play at the NHL level. Because if he doesn't maintain position and gap control on NHL and American Hockey League players who are bigger and stronger and faster and smarter and process the game much quicker than the average OHL player, I think he can be beat pretty frequently. If he gives an inch, they'll take a mile. So those are my concerns with him. I like him. I think he's good. And you're right. If he's in a multi-cat league where you're scoring points, hits and blocks, and he's on an entry-level contract and he's minor eligible for the first couple of years of that deal, there's a lot of value there. But as he grows out of that ELC contract, I mean, he starts getting paid in the $4 million range, then my interest will kind of fade away. So I like him for a short time, not a long time. And, but it'll take a while for him to get there. So that's kind of my take on Ty Nelson. Yeah. And just to your point, one of the things I have access to is the sport contract analytics. And they, when you look at his numbers, his defensive numbers, his in zone defensive numbers are very good. He's good at kind of in zone puck recovery and getting the puck out and playing in front of the net, preventing passes to the slot. But what he really is struggles with is transitions. And so transition zone defense is actually quite poor. And if you're poor at the OHL level, that's going to be a problem <laughs> as you ascend in level. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye on Ty Nelson. But I do think his, until you, you brought up Lane Hudson, and obviously those body types are completely different. Lane Hudson being a lot smaller. And yeah. Ty Nelson, even though they're the same height, much stockier built like a tank, whereas Lane Hudson is definitely built more for mobility and not for imposing his physicality. So anyways, just thought I'd mention that. The next guy we're going to talk about is Tyson Jugnoth. In case you're scoring at home, J-U-G-N-A-U-T-H. And he is a 2022 fourth round pick of Seattle. Oh, I should mention, I had him as a five. Peter has him as a two, so a little bit divergent there. 2022 fourth round pick, six foot, 161, left-handed D. So a little bit slight on the pounds, but size is pretty decent. He was drafted out of the BCHL. 50 points and 52 BSHL, BCHL games for the West Kelowna Warriors. Known for producing tons of NHL talent, I'm sure. Just kidding. Not super exciting for the low equivalency league that he was in. What I what the reason I'm bringing him up though is that even though that wasn't so exciting and you know really tough to set yourself apart in that league, but he went to the University of Wisconsin out of the BCHL, which is a pretty huge leap going from that league to one of the tougher you know North American leagues and has a pretty high equivalency in terms of NHLE. And he went up for nearly half a point per game in that league as a defenseman, as a freshman, and as a fairly young. His birthday's in April, so he was 18 for most of the NCAA season, and he had 15 points in 32 games, minus 20, if you care about that kind of stuff. So it wasn't all great. But that was still pretty pretty decent for Tyson Jugnoth. His hockey prospecting equivalency has him right around 10% chance of being a star. And that was down from 15. So, you know, he's still kind of in that range where he might be interesting. His 
NHL probability is like a coin flip right now. He does look like some guys that have made it, but the best one is probably someone like Nate Schmidt, who is like borderline interesting at times in fantasy, but sometimes not. The top-down hockey model has him pretty low, and his similarity score on the ranking app has him kind of similar to like a Will Butcher or Mark Friedman. So, you know, it might be kind of interesting there, depending on your league setup. But I like the fact that he has really good mobility and he has good deception. He knows when to kind of activate and change the pace of the game. I also like that he was able to increase his or was able to kind of adapt pretty well to a really tough team or a really tough situation, I mean, in a tough league. So I think that's interesting. He's also, you know, a defenseman but in a difficult position. And he's a bit on the younger side. So he has some runway to kind of continue to improve. So to me, I think that's a little bit interesting to have on my radar. I still wouldn't say he's like, you know, I'm not banking on him, you know, making or breaking it for my team. But I think Tyson Jugnoth is someone that is interesting enough that it's worth a little bit more of a ranking because these defensemen that can put up points are a little bit more rare. So tell us, Pete, why you're a little bit not as interested in him. Well, mainly I lack data on juggernaut so like you said he played in the bchl before he was drafted and then he went to wisconsin and played in the ncaa so i've never even seen the kid play he never played internationally for canada in any tournaments that i watched and you know he's a mid-round draft pick picked 100th overall so not really popping up on a lot of radars not getting a lot of chatter or buzz and you know he stayed out of the CHL to maintain his NCAA eligibility where he's playing now. And I think the players that choose the NCAA development route typically have one or two strategies in mind. First one, be a one and done or a two-year player tops and then go pro as soon as possible. If you play in the CHL, you're limited to the NHL or the CHL. So you can be 19 years old before you can sign a contract. And then the NCAA doesn't have any such restrictions. So players can go from the draft, play one year of college, and then graduate to pro, as opposed to players who are in junior have to wait two years before they can turn pro. The other option for going to the NCAA route would be to get a free ride, right? Play out your college career, get an education, and then see where hockey goes. So I think this is a player who would be a better example of the latter of those two scenarios that he's not a high-end profile prospect so he's probably thinking a full ride to college is what he's going to do so there's four years of development where you're going to have to wait to get him on your fantasy roster then you're going to look at a probably a little bit of ahl adjustment to the pro level game as well before he's nhl ready and then to your point his nhl upside comparisons are nate schmidt which doesn't really get me too hot and bothered, to be honest. Sorry, Nate. So that's a long wait for a player that is meh. I mean, he's trending in the right direction now. You made some good points about his game and what he's bringing to the table and a good season as a freshman in college. And those are all good things. And if he continues to move the needle, then he might change my opinion on him and maybe even his own plan. If he's planning to be a four-year college player, if you know, if he starts having dominant seasons at the NCAA as a sophomore or a junior, maybe then I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle comes calling and saying, you know, our prospect pool is pretty thin. We can use some guys in Coachella or wherever. Let's put some, let's get you out of school and get you playing pro. You're going to be a professional hockey player for a few years. So you don't have to worry about the college education. 
and then bring him up. We'll see where it all goes, but that's kind of where I'm at with him. I, you know, I've never really seen him play. Don't really hear a lot of buzz about him. And I look at the route that he's on and it looks like a slow ride with a modest upside. That's my take. So let's move on to the next team. Then the eighth overall ranked team in the Dauber prospects organizational rankings was the Detroit Red Wings. An original six franchise, the Red Wings are on track to return to their glory days under the guidance of franchise great Steve Eiserman. Must be music to the ears of Red Wings fans. The past six drafts, Red Wings have loaded up on draft picks to the tune of eight first rounders, 12 second rounders, and 11 third round picks. And as a result, the pipeline is flush with promising prospects. The Wings have a really good young core of recently graduated prospects, the likes of Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, and the prospect pool isn't as top heavy, I don't think, as some of the other teams in this range, like in the top 10 or lower, but it's headed by Simon Edmondson, Marco Casper, Jonathan Bergen, Sebastian Cosa, William Wollanders, pretty good prospects overall, but it's really good with depth, with a blend that I like of a couple of boomer bust players like Krill Tutayev. And then you got some other guys who maybe have a lower upside, but a higher floor. Guys like Donovan's Sabrango and Jared McKay's. So let's talk about two of the guys that, that I just talked about, because there's a little bit of divergence in opinion on some of these guys between Victor and I. And let's start with Jared McIsaac. I'm a little higher on him. I have him as a five. And Victor didn't make Victor's top 15 rankings for Detroit. So my thoughts on him is McIsaac's been a higher profile prospect for a long time now. He's drafted first overall in the queue and was the defensive rookie of the year. He's played for Canada at two World Junior Championships. He's had a run at the Memorial Cup and he's 23 years old now and he's already got two seasons of AHL development completed. He is currently a restricted free agent. So he needs contract and he'll get one somewhere if it's not in Detroit. He'll no longer be waiver exempt wherever he plays. So I think that is a real key factor here. I think he'd be a probable waiver claim if exposed. So if Detroit signs him, doesn't make training camp, and they send him back down to Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, I would not be surprised if another team picked him up on waivers. I like his probability to play in the NHL this fall, this year. But his upside is limited to the points that Victor's about to make, I'm sure. I think you'll get a boost if your league scores blocked shots. That's really his gravy. So if you're looking for a cheap, minor eligible defenseman that can help you with some blocked shot stats, that'll be waiver, sorry, minor eligible for however many games your league tracks it for, I think he'd be a good option there. So, you know, I'm not super high on him. I only ranked him a five, but Victor, you didn't rank him at all. And I'm noticing that's a common similarity to some of our rankings through these reports where I like the guys who have a shorter turnaround, but maybe a lower ceiling a little bit. You don't got time for those guys. What's your take on Jared McIsaac? Yeah, I think that you kind of nailed it. I tend to value upside more than certainty. I mean, I do like having guys like, like you mentioned just recently, you do need a blend on your team in terms of guys that are close guys that are a little bit more certain guys that you know maybe have a lower ceiling but have a high floor and then you kind of got some wide ones in the middle and then you also need some guys that are boomer bust some home run i just when i rank 
to me, if you don't, if you don't try to get those guys with a higher upside, you're not going to be able to get them. And to me, the higher floor guys are often easier to get. And so that's why I tend not to rank them as high because I just, I think they're a little bit of a lower commodity for me. And to the issue of Jared McIsaac, yeah, basically he's the mayor of Tweenerville as far as I'm concerned. He's been in the AHL for three years now. I mean, the first year, I guess he was kind of minimal action, but he's basically been in the AHL for three years and hasn't really moved the needle too much. I mean, he's clocking in at around a quarter to a third of a point per game. And you just figure that at this point, he would have made an impact. He's 23 years old and he hasn't really you know, been able to get an opportunity. I would have guessed, and I did think a year or two ago that he probably deserved an opportunity, but, you know, based on his play in the HL or, you know, guys have passed him on the depth chart in Detroit. So I think that's part of the issue. But right now, in terms of like the top-down hockey model, he actually has a 0% chance of being a star and only an 8% chance of being a cello, which I find kind of hard to believe. Like you said, he's, you know, if anything, he's, someone could sign him and put him in the NHL probably right now. And he could at worst be like a six, seven type guy. And, you know, maybe there's upside for more with some peripherals. So he's definitely close and you have to, you have to like that to some extent because, you know, he's going to, he's probably going to get an opportunity certainly sooner than some of these other guys that we talked about. But I just, I'm interested in guys like this as long as they get in the NHL and I can flex them up and down for my minors. But I don't think that Jared McIsaac is going to be anyone who, after he gets past your minors eligible limit, he's going to be anyone that's super interesting. I think you can find him on the, find a replacement for him on the wire. You know what? We've got the Dauber Prospects Detroit Red Wings prospect writer on the call right now. Our very own producer, Evan Sabrin, just did an update on Jared McIsaac. And Evan, let's chime you in on this. What's your take on Jared McIsaac? Yeah, he's been, you know, it's been very frustrating. You know, he was actually one of the Wings' top prospects and shortly as three years ago. But, you know, he's really had a bad luck run of it. You know, he's had two major shoulder surgeries in his first two years with the organization. And mind you, he, you know, he was drafted back in 2018. He's also not a Steve Eiserman guy. That was Ken Holland's draft. And if you remember in that draft, uh, kind of a pretty bad draft for the Red Wings. It was supposed to be a big one with getting Philip Sedina and Joe Valino in the first round. And then McIsaac was supposed to be a defensive savior. And like I said, injuries have just derailed this poor kid. I definitely think the skills there. I just don't see where he will fit in with a depth chart as, you know, Eiserman has drafted a couple of left-handed defensemen that have passed him in, in William Waylander and Albert Johansson. Again, like you said, I think we could see him moved. If we could see another team or organization pick him up and give him an opportunity, that might be where he makes it to the NHL because I just don't see it in Detroit with Steve Eiserman. I think they could, you know, release him, or maybe move him in a minor deal as a sweetener. But, uh, you know, his upside at 23 years old and missing a lot of time in development, it's really hurt him. I would love to see this guy prosper in a different league. But uh, yeah, I, like I said, don't see it happening in Detroit. Awesome. Awesome insight there. And yeah, so definitely a guy to keep your eye on, though, as if he does go to a different team, he could literally be inserted into the lineup and get some games. Yeah, I really like your point, too, Evan, about not being a Steve Eiserman guy. I think that's a really valid point where GMs like their guys. And I'm not saying Steve Eiserman doesn't like Jared McIsaac, but I don't think he feels that kind of 
loyalty to him to have him make it and prove him right because he didn't have to pick him. So that's a good point. Let's move on to the next guy on the list here. That'll be Detroit's Dmitry Bushnelikov. And I hope I'm saying that right. I think I am. Victor, you had him ranked as a six and he didn't make my cut. So let's start with you. What's to like about this guy? Yeah, Dmitry Buchelnikov is how I would say it. And yeah, he's, they took him, the Red Wings took him in the second round in 2022. He's an interesting case because he's an overager, but he's extremely young for his draft year. He's a September 6th birthday, and the deadline is September 15th. So literally by like nine days, he could have been in the following draft, which would have, you know, perhaps changed things a little bit. And basically he was drafted in that following year. The other reason is that he's Russian, as his name sounds. And he's five foot nine and 150 pounds. So he's got like three strikes right there. Basically, he absolutely tore up the MHL the year after being drafted. His true D plus one season, but the year he was drafted, 75 points in 56 games. And then last season, which was his true D plus two season, the year after he was actually drafted, he played mostly in the VHL, which is the Russian equivalent to the AHL. And he had 28 points in 35 games. That's pretty solid production in a pro league. He's still only 19 years old, has a ton of room to grow, not just physically grow, but his game. He improved his defensive game a lot, but he still needs to work on his play away from the puck and with the puck on his stick. But with the puck on his stick, he's really exciting. He's very deceptive. He's, you know, very crafty with the puck and he shoots a lot. He's a heavy, he's, he's a volume shooter. He doesn't really do a whole lot of other peripheral stats, but you know, he's got the shots. He's good at creating offense. Doesn't look so good in some of these models because, you know, his true, because he's basically drafted as an overager and some of his equivalencies were a little bit lower. So, like the top down hockey model is pretty low on him and also because of the height. But the hockey prospecting model has him as right now a 12% chance of being a star, 55% chance of being an NHLer. And so there is some opportunity there. He actually looks pretty similar to couple guys in this model that have made the nhl one of the ones also being a smaller guy is brendan gallagher which he's not gonna block and hit as much as brendan gallagher but he might shoot more and you know so anyways that's an interesting especially for the size interesting comp that you can see there he as i mentioned previously his defensive game was something that was a big issue initially but it has dramatically improved his coursey against this year was quite a bit better than it was previously and as well as his expected goals against but he's never going to be out there solely for his defensive impact so that's not really why you want Buchelnikov on your team but he needs to have a passable amount of defense so that he's playable so I think he's someone that is worth a stash especially because in a couple of years Buchelnikov could come over and be inserted directly into you know a middle to top six role because he'll be very NHL ready by that point. He probably will have played at least a season or two in the KHL. Right now he's expected, he played 10 KHL games last season and he should be primarily in the KHL next season. And I should also mention he does play in the SCA system, which can often be a little double-edged sword because you tend to look really good in the SCA system, but it's usually because the talent around you is really good and he may not get all the best offensive minutes unless he kind of demands it. So we'll have to wait and see what this KHL time tells us about Dmitry Buchelnikov. But you're not as you're not as into him, Pete. So tell us why. Well, I see him as a boomer bust player. And I have two concerns with him. And obviously they are his size at five foot nine and then the Russian factor. 
he's under contract through 24, 25 with Scott, as you said. And I don't really feel like that organization is a very good reputation for developing prospects. It's not really their forte. They're, they like their veterans. So if he's in the KHL, is he going to get a lot of minutes? Is he going to play or is he going to continue to play in the VHL down there in, in the minors? It's going to take a while for him to come over. And I'm, you know, there's just other players that I'd rather invest in that have similar upside that are less Russian or have bigger size and, or that I just know more about. Evan, you got anything you want to, to add in on this as the Detroit writer? Yeah, I think one of the things that Steve Eiserman's his the way he's wanted to attack this depth chart is he kept he keeps always saying that he wants more throws at the dartboard. You know, he's been accumulating picks these last couple of years, a, a lot of picks. And I think Bush Countoff was he was he was ready to go a lot further down on the draft board. And I think Eiserman, this is one of his swings that he wants to take. I mean, the skill and the upside are there. You know, obviously you mentioned he he is a little short, but I think Eiserman's very excited about this one. You know, let him, you know, work his way up in the KHL and do his thing there. And then, you know, three years down the road, two, three years down the road, I mean, he might be coming over with the Mishkov. You know, I think it's a prospect that he's excited about, but it's also, you know, I think he took a risk and a chance with an early round draft pick on this guy. But, you know, it's Stevie Y. I mean, who's not to say that he's not right again? I'm not going to doubt him. But one thing I do want to clarify that you said, Pete, is the VHL is not a minor league. It is a pro league. So the MHL, definitely a junior league that is very much like, well, not very much like, but sort of similar to the CHL leagues, but with like worse teams <laughs> sprinkled in. And so it's kind of hard to evaluate talent there. But the VHL is certainly not exactly like the AHL, but it is a pro league with, you know, guys that are more mature, but aren't quite like KHL talent. And so that's a lot tougher. And so the fact that he did pretty well there, I think is a pretty good feather in his cap, but certainly as we're all saying, he's got a, he's got a bit to go. So if it's like the AHL, that that's a minor league. It's pro, but minor, not junior, but minors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a pro league, but yeah, it is, I guess there's a distinction there. All right, let's move on to the next team. The Los Angeles Kings. The Kings have drafted really well lately. I would say the last several years, they were at the top of these lists for a while. Some of their prospects have graduated and become NHLers like Arthur Kaliev, Gabe Velarde, Sean Dersey. Others haven't quite worked out the way his planned. Alex Turka, Tyler Madden, Francesco Pinelli, Jack Hughes 2.0 are a little bit lower on these lists, but they do have a pretty solid pipeline and guys like Quentin Byfield, Brent Clark, Jordan Spence, Alex Turcott, to some extent, I guess there's differing opinions there, but the one area they haven't really figured out, I think is goal. I don't see a clear answer there and we're not going to talk about any of their goalies, but there are a lot of guys that we agree on. Most of those guys we agree on, but there's a couple of guys that we don't. And those are going to be Atu Jamsen and Samuel Fajemo. And so we'll talk about Atu Yamsen first. I had him all the way up as a seven. Peter didn't rank him. So definitely a big divergence there. He was a 2027th round pick. So definitely does not have the draft pedigree. Six foot two, 160 pound winger. He's a July 22 birthday. So he has always been extremely young for his draft year. He played the last two seasons in the Liga, which is a really tough pro league with low scoring. And last year, he had 32 points in 43 games for the Pelicans. That's a pretty solid equivalency for a really, really solid production, especially for such a young kid in a difficult league. His PNHLE clocked in at 57. So, you know, that's 
pretty interesting, or at least borderline interesting in most leagues. He has some PNHLE equivalent or guys that he looks like. Not the most exciting similarity scores, but an Oscar Lindbergh, David Gustafson, guys that are, you know, at least made it in the NHL. His hockey prospecting, he honestly doesn't look like a whole lot of guys except some random stars that kind of totally beat the odds and looked amazing. But one guy he does look like that I think might be a reasonable comp is Victor Olofsson. He certainly had some really good years with some strong production. And I think that that Ati Jumpson, you know, can be that guy. He definitely needs to work on bulking up because he's really tall and lanky at 6'2", 157 pounds. And, you know, he has been able to produce some offense, but he's got to work on his shot and some of his other ability to, you know, create offense, his playmaking. So I like his pro production. I like that if he comes over, he could be pretty ready to be an impact player. And even if his, even if his upside isn't much beyond a 60 ish point player. So I like that. What do you think about Atu Yamsen, Peter? I think he's watch list material. He's a seventh round pick from 2020, 190th overall. So very low draft pedigree. He's got good size. I mean, he's, well, he's tall. He's six foot two, but he's real thin at 157, which also known as wheat. I think he's going to have to add a lot of strength to play in North America in the smaller ranks. Another strike against him is he's under contract through the 24-25 season. Now, that's not as big a deal in Liga as it is in the KHL because there's a transfer agreement there where if the Kings fall in love with him at training camp, he can get out of that contract and come to North America. So it's not a big deal, but it's an indication that he might be staying in Finland for a few more years, and he's already 20 years old. He wasn't ranked in the consensus top 15. So he didn't make my list and he didn't make the overall top 15 either. He didn't get referenced in the Dauber prospects guide and he's got a 5% fan tracks roster ship. So, I mean, you could put him on your watch list, but he's not a player who I would rush out to acquire right now. I'm not sure his upside is tremendous and I'm not sure his ETA is anytime soon. So let's move on from that guy and let's talk about the next player that you mentioned that we were going to talk about here. That's Samuel Fajimo. I have him as a six, which is, you know, a slightly better than 50-50 chance to make the NHL and be fantasy relevant. You had him as a three, which is a less than likely. And overall, he was ranked seventh in the OR rankings. So the consensus is on my side on this one. His production did regress a little bit last year, I'll admit, and that is a bit of a red flag, but the Ontario Reign were not a very good team, so it could be more of a reflection of his environment than his development. You probably are a little bit more in tune being California boys than I am on the Ontario Reign's player deployment and how he looked. He still scored 23 goals last season and he played in nine nhl games and had three points there he shoots a lot victor you should like that you like guys that have a high volume shooting and his shooting percentage in the nhl was 40 percent, which of course is not sustainable but nevertheless that's a nice little stat on his file he is a restricted free agent gonna need a contract and he's also waiver exempt we talked about that how much i love the waiver exemption He's 30% Fantrax rostered. Not a big multi-cat player. Don't count on him for peripheral stats. So multi-cat leagues, less interested in him. I mean, he's he's a long shot and his upside isn't great. 
but the turnaround time and wait on him is going to be short. I think he could make the team as soon as this season, or they could include him in a trade. If they're shopping for a goalie, he could be someone who other teams would be interested in. And if he's on a system that has a lot less prospect competition, then that could be more interesting. So that's my take on Vajmo. I'm moderately interested in fantasy on him. And Victor, you're less interested. Let's talk about why. Yeah. And again, my rating is not based on his likelihood. You mentioned that I thought he was less likely. It has nothing to do with likelihood. It's just how interested I am in the upside. And I just don't think the upside is very high for Fajimo. This is now his third year in a row where he's primarily played in the AHL. And I get the Kings are a competitive team and it may be a little bit hard for him to make an impact. I do think he's running out out of runway. As you mentioned, being waiver exempt might force the issue this year. And maybe he gets that and he takes advantage of it. But now being 23 and having failed to make an NHL impact, he also might be pretty likely just to return back to Sweden and or Europe and be a professional there. So I'm not so excited with that. Also, you mentioned him being volume shooter. His NHL track record certainly doesn't suggest that. Five shots in, NH- in nine games this season was not a lot. And last season, he had five shots in four games. So I guess that was a little bit better. But this is a really small sample size. In the NHL and the AHL, he has been closer to between two and three shots a game. So that's a little bit more interesting, certainly. But yeah, I just don't know that there's a whole lot to a whole lot more runway for Samuel Fajimo to be a super impactful player, especially based on. Yeah, he has been able to score a decent amount in the AHL, but he has struggled to kind of make an impact and translate those skills to the NHL. So I think he might just end up being a good European professional, I'm not sure that he's going to make an NHL impact, especially since it's taken him a while. You're talking about his third season now in the AHL. If he would have scored 23 goals as a rookie in the AHL, I feel like that would be that would be a different conversation for me. But that's why I'm a little bit lower on Fajimo. I just don't think his upside is that high. His NHL or likelihood is certainly much more likely. Definitely agree that he has an opportunity very soon. I just don't know that the upside is great. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's move on and we're getting down close to the top five here. And the number six overall team when the Dauber Prospects organizational rankings is the Carolina Hurricanes. So this is a competitive team and it should be considered a Stanley Cup contender. They had a good playoff run this year and fell short to Florida. Hurricanes have a young core of forwards. They've built around which the team drafted and developed. Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov, Martin Nichash, Seth Jarvis are all homegrown products and under 25 years old and on the roster. Teams only selected inside the top 10 of the NHL draft once in Andre Svechnikov, who's second overall in 2018, since the 2016 draft. And they still have a strong prospect pool. So you got to give the, the Canes scouting staff a tip of the hat here as they consistently draft and develop NHL talent in the second half of the draft as well. Morgan Geeky, Nicholas Roy, Steve Lorenz, Warren Fogel, Jacob Slavin all played over 100 NHL games and are all picked 67th or later. That's pretty good, man. Current prospect pool may lack a lot of blue chip prospects, 
but it has good depth. And, you know, several players have found their way to the NHL within its ranks. And they've graduated a lot of players recently, too. So let's talk about some of the ones that we digressed on. And we'll start with Ryan Suzuki. I ranked Ryan Suzuki a six and Victor, he didn't make your cut. And my point on him is he was ranked six overall in the consensus. So inside the top 10 comfortably, the Dauber prospects guide lists him as the organization's best setup man prospect. And they use the comparison of Matt Barzell and you give him a point forecast range of 40 to 70 points career average to all things going incredibly well for him as a 70 point best case scenario, high upside. He's not an undersized prospect. He's six foot one, 190. So, you know, he doesn't have huge size, but it's not really a factor either way. He's got good speed. He's a good playmaker. He needs to shoot a little bit more. I think to be the real challenge for him though, is his durability. In the past three years, his game played totals have been 50, 34, or 26 games played. For me, it's not a question of if he can play in the NHL and produce, it is if he can stay healthy to do that. So that's my take on him, Victor. What's what's your reasoning for not ranking him? I'm really curious. Yeah, similar to the last guy we talked about, it really comes down to upside with Suzuki. I just don't think it's there. He's not his brother. He's not Nick Suzuki. I think the Hurricanes would be very happy with that, obviously. But Ryan Suzuki has played three seasons now in the AHL. And while that's certainly commendable and he has increased his point total every year, so there is some progression there for sure. 32 points in 50 games in the AHL for the Chicago Wolves is nothing to sneeze at. I just don't know that it's going to translate to the NHL. It Guys who look like him, who take a while to really develop and, find, and then finally in their third season, you know, really kind of do pretty well, like over a half point per game in the AHL, don't usually become super fantasy relevant. You're talking right now, his PNHLE is like a 35 point guy. I personally think that's where he's going to be. 70 to me seems outrageous for Nick Suzuki, but I mean, great. I hope for him that it works out. I'm not putting my money there. Most of the statistical models list him as pretty anomalous to be a star producer. The top down hockey has him as a 1% chance of being a star, only a 13% chance of being an NHLer. Most of the, so the PNHLE app actually has some pretty good comps for him. Jared McCann would, I think, be a pretty great outcome for Ryan Suzuki. There's also a Michael Rasmussen and Nick Ritchie, which are less exciting for sure. And the hockey prospecting model has him more like a 7% chance of being a star, but that was after his first AHL season. I'm not sure that it would have moved the needle too much this year. He does kind of look like, uh, of all the guys in that model, the only one he looks like who is promising is Joshua. And Joshua, Canadian's prospect, is obviously not a sure thing yet, but he looks pretty good now. So that's part of it for me, is that he definitely looks like he's going to be an NHLer. I Personally, I just think he's going to be more of a bottom sixer, and I'm not sure he's going to put up a ton of points, especially in Carolina. I mean, if he stays in Carolina, I think this is even less likely because Carolina likes to spread their ice around, give everyone a roll, and everyone kind of chips in with the points. And except for the very top guys, no one is like super valuable. And so I think that if Ryan Suzuki went to another team who gave him a more prominent role, it might be more likely, but I'm still just a little bit lower on him for all those reasons. High floor, I just don't think the ceiling is much beyond the floor personally. 
That's interesting. I think we're going to make some similar points on the next player we're going to talk about here, where your counterpoint is going to possibly be similar to mine. You had him at a seven. I ranked him as a four. Victor, lead off on Cruz Lucius, please. Yeah, Cruz Lucius, 2022 fourth round pick. And six foot, oh, 180 pounds. And if that name sounds familiar, Cruz Lucius is the brother of Jets prospect Chaz Lucius, who was a first rounder and definitely put up a lot more points at the USNTDP, had a higher profile. And Cruz, as I was alluding to, didn't have the production of his brother at the USNTDP, but that's partially because his draft season was limited by several injuries. At the end, though, he kind of finally put it all together, had a pretty good last few games at the end of the season, and then had eight points in six games at the World U18 World Juniors and route to a silver medal. So that was kind of a good ending, but it still only equated to a fourth round pick. And he's not small, as I mentioned, six foot 180 pounds is decent size for a winger. So I wasn't super excited with him last year either. But this year, what happened is that he transitioned to college hockey, University of Wisconsin. And he went off for a point per game, 34 points in 34 games, which led the team clear of second place, which was a guy named Mathieu de saint Valais. I'm not really sure how to say that. It sounds French. But he's a 23-year-old super senior. And Cruz beat him by four points and played two fewer games. So that's pretty impressive. And if you look down the list at the University of Wisconsin scorers, that guy I mentioned was close at 30 points to Cruz's 34. And the next closest guy was 23 and then 23 and then 16. So it's not like Cruz Lucius was just benefiting from a bunch of great scoring going on around him. He was pretty much doing it all by himself and really dragging the rest of the team with him. And this is, again, a true freshman who was doing all of this at a pretty young age. I mean, he was 18 for most of the season. He just turned 19 on April 5th. So really young, 18-year-old, really doing great things at the NCAA. He increased his star potential on hockey prospecting from 14 to 19%. Remember, anyone who does this has to have an incredible year because generally it just goes down. So that's pretty awesome. He looks like quite a few NHLers in this model that I could cherry pick a bunch of them and tell you that he's going to be like this star. And the one that I think is most reasonable, although not realistic, is Jason Robertson, who obviously just came out of nowhere and really tore it up after having sort of pretty decent but not incredible production and becoming an NHL superstar. So I'm not saying the crew is going to do that, but his NHL equivalencies do kind of look like that. So we'll see. He's looking kind of like between a first and second liner in most of these models. And a PNHLE of 59, which is pretty, pretty good. But a lot of his equivalencies are muted because of his draft year had pretty low output, which is fair. But again, you have to keep in mind, was that due to some other reason? Was he just like not very good? Was he really young? Was he injured? And the fact that he's injured, I think we have to cut him some slack because I think he showed this year what he can really do as a really young freshman in the NCAA. So Cruz Lucius, not the fastest guy, but great offensive instincts, knows where to be in any zone. He's not like a defensive liability and he has a really good shot of developing into a top six forward. So that's why I like him. Pete, what about you? Yeah, I like him too. I like it a lot. I'd like him a lot more if he were on another team. The Carolina Hurricanes have a good top five and they got a log jam of prospects after that who i ranked all very similarly and you've got the at number one for me and alexander nixon right there as well probably jack jury and scott morrow are the top four for me 
And then after that, you've got a whole bunch of guys, Suzuki, Trigazov, Rees, Koivinen, Fensor, Gundler, Pomeraev, Rizzo, Tixola, Honka, Lucius. I like all those guys kind of in a similar range. So you got a log jam of prospects there. And not only that, but the active roster, there are you know, eight players under 25 on the roster. So making this team is going to be really difficult. And to your point earlier, making it in the top six is going to be even harder. And that's where you get your fantasy hockey gravy in the top six in Carolina. So I agree with everything you said and like his potential and upside and the comps. I just don't see a clear path to the NHL in Carolina for him. They should be in no rush to sign him to a contract and they should just let him percolate and develop and ripen in the NCAA for two more years and then push to sign him. And then if he needs any, any AHL development time, you can give him that too. I'm not saying he isn't worth the wait. He is. He's a good prospect. And, you know, you can keep an eye on his development, make sure that he keeps moving in the right direction. I'd like him more if he played with, you know, Pittsburgh or the New York Islanders, where they're a, a much faster and easier and a higher upside road to the NHL with him. What do you think of that? Oh, I don't disagree with you. I think that the prospect pipeline in Carolina is very horizontal. <laughs> it's after the one or two. I have Nikishin and Kachekov in a tier far above the rest, and the rest are all kind of, yeah, more or less similar. But I think the other thing that I would say is that even though I agree with that, I don't think you should necessarily, not you, Pete, but people in general shouldn't necessarily just focus on that because guys can get traded. You know, what if we wake up tomorrow and Cruz Lucius is on another team and all of a sudden instantly you wish you had him because now he's the best prospect, the best forward prospect in Seattle or something like that. I mean, you never know that could happen. And while you have to keep that in mind, because it certainly does matter because the odds are he's going to stay in the Carolina system. I mean, trades do happen, but it's not like the most likely outcome. So you have to think about it, but you also can't completely hold it against him because you never know he could rise to the top or he could move somewhere else or they could trade someone else or several other pieces and then make him the focal point. I mean, you just don't know. So I would be, I tend not to worry about that too much because I think the cream will rise to the crop. There just may not be a cream in this system. (laughs) And then that might be an issue. Yeah. Like I said, I like him more if he played on another team. And if that happened, then I, my interest level would skyrocket depending on the team. The issue is sometimes you don't have time to make that change once he moves, you know? So sometimes you kind of have to be ahead of the curve a little bit. All right, let's move on to the last team, the Montreal Canadiens. The Canadiens are emerging from a rebuild with some great young established NHL talent headlined by Nick Suzuki, the better Suzuki brother by far. I think we can agree on that. And Cole Caulfield. There are some solid pieces too, like Kirby Doc, Uri Slavkovsky, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, and Justin Barron. Despite all these young players having played NHL games, they have a farm team with even more talent busting at the seams. You have to be pretty optimistic if you're a Habs fan, I must say. Peter and I pretty much agree on most of these top guys, aside from the ones I already mentioned. There's certainly Lane Hudson, Joshua, Sean Farrell, Riley Kidney, Philip Mishar, Owen Beck. We're all pretty similar on those guys. The few guys we disagree on are mostly near the bottom, but I'm also a little bit higher on Emil Heimemann, Adam Engstrom, Javier Simino, and Raphael Harvey-Pinard. But the ones we're going to highlight are Engstrom and Arbor Jackeye, which if you're scoring at home, you definitely don't know how to spell it if you've never seen that name written out. But we'll get to him in a minute. First, we're going to talk about Adam Engstrom. 
I had him as a five. Peter didn't make the cut for you. And so let's talk a little bit about him. 2023, 2022, third round pick, six foot two, 190 pound left-handed D. He excelled at the junior level in his draft season and then popped off last year for in the SHL for Rogla BK, which is a super strong SHL team. He scored 16 points in 43 games, which may not sound like a lot, but for a 19-year-old in the SHL in one of the best pro leagues in the world, according to certain models, depending on which one you believe, probably the third or fourth most difficult league. And not only that, but his expected goals against was really low, which is good for a defenseman. He did a solid job of defending. His PNHLE and the NHL ranking apps model has him as a 53. And that's pretty high, obviously. And some similarity scores. He's got guys like Travis Dermott, Damon Severson, Tory Krug. Probably not a Tory Krug. Probably not a Damon Severson either, but maybe somewhere between Severson and Dermott. That would be probably realistic. Top Down Hockey has Adam Engstrom as a 1% chance of being a star, but a 76% chance of being an NHLer. So very likely. And the hockey prospecting model showed him increase his star potential from five to seven. Five is like the baseline that everyone gets. So basically he went up 2%, but a 59% chance of being an NHLer. So that's pretty good. He does look like another Swede in this model, and that would be Victor Soderstrom. Soderstrom, who's kind of just becoming a regular NHLer now, certainly not the hype that some people are not the heights that some people thought he would reach, but you know, he's kind of looking like he's going to be a competent NHL or playing minutes, getting some peripheral stats. So we'll see about Soderstrom, but that's not who we're talking about. Adam Engstrom, he's very mobile. He's got good size. And one of the issues around his draft was that he really needed to fill out his frame. And well, he's done that a little bit. I mean, he was 6'2". He was quite a bit slighter at the draft. Now he's 190 pounds. So fills out that frame a little bit. And he's got really good problem solving, and that matched with his skating and frame make him pretty projectable to being an NHLer. I don't think that Adam Engstrom is going to command power play time on ice, regardless of who else is in the Montreal system. But they also got some pretty capable guys between oh, Gooley, Barron, and of course there's Lane Hudson, but he's several years away. So I don't think Engstrom gets the necessarily the power play time on ice, but he should play minutes and get a few points and pretty decent peripherals. And to me, that's worth something. But I guess not to you, Pete. So why is that? I think he's worth a rank for sure. The challenge, though, is kind of like Carolina. I mean, we're getting into the top five here, right? So Montreal has really good depth. And if I added him in to my top 15 rankings, I would have had to taken someone else out. So he's a rankable player for sure. But I guess my reasons for leaving him out may be that, that he's, he's a ways from being a fantasy contributor. And the Canadians have a lot of players that I think are either closer to the NHL or have a higher upside. Guys like Beck, Boden, Kidney, Messar, Kapanen, etc. So, you know, I don't disagree with any of the things you're saying. It's just, you know, someone, some guys don't make the cut when you've got that many good players. And Montreal has the problem, the good problem of having too many good prospects. So that's going to, that's going to help them out in the long run. And we'll see where he fits in, in in a year or two. If he leaps frogs a couple of guys and moves himself up the depth chart. And that's a distinct possibility. But for now, he's, he's just on the outside looking in for me. So let's move on and talk about a- another player. Arbor Jack guy. We're not really that far off on our rankings here, Victor. You've got him as a five and I've got him at a seven. That's pretty close. But as you said, for those keeping score at home, his last name is spelt X. H E Q 
K-A-J, and it's pronounced Jack-Eye. And if you spell it backwards, it looks more phonetically correct than if you spell it properly. But, you know, that's his name. What can you do? The kid is a fantasy hockey multi-cat beast. We ranked him seventh overall in the OR rankings. He's come out of literally nowhere. And he went undrafted in both the OHL and the NHL, never played for Canada internationally, but he broke into the NHL as a free agent. Played 51 games as a rookie in the NHL last year, and he had 13 points. He's a defenseman, posted 101 penalty minutes, and he had 159 hits and 46 blocks. And he comes with a nice little tidy $828,000 salary cap hit. 8.828 is his cap hit. And I just checked and can confirm that is good value. He's 65% rostered on fan tracks, and that number is very likely to increase. So obviously, he's got tremendous multi-cat value where he does. He's like leading the league in penalty minutes, hitting and blocking. All those things are good. But I think he's got some upside with his offensive game as well. He's got a really heavy shot. And I can see a possibility where Montreal is playing him on the power play, either on the point as as a shooting threat or in front of the net as a net front presence and just being miserable for defensemen in front of the net and screening the goalie. You know, Montreal doesn't, until Lane Hudson comes, they don't really have a dynamic offensive defenseman that's running away with quarterbacking their power play. So I wouldn't be surprised if he got some minutes. I'm not saying first line power play minutes necessarily here, but, but definitely a look on the power play. And then depending on how that goes, you know, you never know where that could lead and what could happen. So I'm really keen on him. And if you're in leagues similar to the ones that, that I participate in, where you've got such great value with him contributing stats across the board and being rather inexpensive while doing it, I got all kinds of time for that player. So you're not too low on him, Victor. You obviously see some things here that you like, but why are you maybe a little cooler on him than I am? Yeah, for sure. I love the man they call Wi-Fi because no one would guess that password if that if you use his last name. But he had just seven primary points in 51 games, along with pretty terrible defensive metrics. So I love the bash. I definitely agree. I think I mean, he's got monster hit numbers. I mean, three hits a game. His blocks are maybe not as exciting, but around a block per game. So definitely multi-cat, you know, darling there but the thing is that if he isn't helping the team win and he's kind of getting caved in defensively then as the team gets better you know they may not have cared as much this year but as they start trying to be competitive and trying to win more games they're going to start caring a lot more about that and if he's not able to drive play then he's not necessarily going to get ice time and so that's really my main concern and the hits are great but if he's not scoring a bunch of points, then, you know, you might be able to find a big hitter on the wire. Certainly as he's minors eligible, I have tons of time and I love him. I've had, I was, I had him in almost every league this year. I would, I loved, and I love the story. I love him being passed over and him making it. I think it's great. And he certainly seems like he's earning himself a contract, but I just worry that he's, not defensively capable enough to command enough ice time. And the Canadians have a ton of great young defensemen that I think are going to command more ice time. So that's a bit of the concern for me. And I'm just a little worried that it's not going to continue to 
be all roses. You think he has a little bit more hidden offensive upside. I'm just not sure that I see it that way. And that's why I had him a little bit lower. And also fun fact, he's got a brother, Florian Jackeye, and he's eligible for the draft this year. And he might not get drafted because he is ranked 131st by NHL central scouting for North American skaters. And so when you add in all the Europeans, he might follow his brother's trajectory, go undrafted, and then someone might sign him and it might be the whole thing all over again. So if your league allows you to add players who uh, haven't been drafted or have been passed over in the draft, then Florian Jacki might be someone to get ahead of the curve on. What do you think about that, Pete? Yeah, maybe. I think he's definitely a long shot, but so is Arbor at the same age. Fun story on that. This the beginning of this season, I was watching an OHL game on TV, Kingston and Hamilton, and the commentators were talking about Jack Eye and, you know, Jack Eye with a hit, Jack Eye takes a shot, whatever. And I was like, come on, guys, he's not with the team, he aged out and he's in the NHL and he's kind of a big deal there, like smarten up. And then I realized they were talking about his younger brother, who I didn't know existed. And then the next weekend, Hamilton was in Kingston. So I happened to run into those guys in the press box. And I was like, I got to apologize to you guys. I was calling you all kinds of names. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so I told them the story and we had a good laugh about it. And they said, well, that's okay. As long as you didn't actually post it on social media, we could still be friends. <laughs> Dodge a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a wrap for report number 10. As we wind our way through the organizational rankings we've got all the way down to five so the next episode will be the last one on the organizational rankings and it's going to be the final four so that's going to be a good one make sure you listen to that you won't miss it if you subscribe on itunes spotify or the podcast aggregator of your choice and if you do go ahead and give us a five-star review while you're there if you leave your name on it while you do that you'll be entered in a contest to win a free copy of the dauber prospects report the guide that we've been talking about that has all the players for each team's prospects that are relevant. It's got NHL mock draft for the 2023 draft top hundred from Sebastian high and Heidi in there as well. It's just chop full of fantasy hockey prospect gravy. Thanks very much to Kevin Longwell for our logo. Check him out on Instagram at Kevin Longwell. If you want to give feedback to the show or just chat with us, give suggestions, questions you want us to ask at the draft to the experts you can hit us up on twitter at dpr underscore show at farling victor nuno 12 at sabarin 91 so that's it for this show everybody thanks very much for listening don't forget to follow hockey pod net for all the great podcasts on that network as well in the meantime keep your stick on the ice we've been waiting for six long years Let's do that hockey.